0: Well, good morning, New Day Church. How are we doing this morning? morning. Doing good. What a great time of worship together. Uh, As always, I love you, church. And I want to assert that as I begin today. I love you. Um, I stand before you today with the message this morning because I love you and because I believe that the word of God is good for us and good for our lives. And so if you're new to the church, uh, my name is John. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here And if I haven't ever met you personally, feel free to come see me after the service, shake my hand, say hi. Um, I would love to meet you and just hear a little bit about your story. Uh, But we start a brand new series today, so can we give it up for a brand new series? We're excited, yeah? Uh, The series is titled Foundations, Solid Doctrine for Wondrous Devotion. And so this is going to be a deeper sermon series over the next five weeks. Uh, We do all different kinds of sermon series here at New Day, but these are going to be really studying some of our core beliefs very deeply here as a church and the reason why we're doing this series is because this is what makes us who we are as a church a a church is not united by rituals or honestly even by people Uh, really what a church is is we are people who are united by uh, shared beliefs that we have and so we have amazing life-altering beliefs as a church like truths from god himself and so that actually makes us the church that we are What makes us a church is what we believe. And so what we're gonna look at over the next five weeks is what we see as the five most foundational beliefs of Christianity. And these are vital for a lot of reasons, but one is because everything else we believe is built on these. And so really if you're with us the next five weeks and you're learning and leaning into these, you're gonna have a really solid grasp on really what Christianity is all about. And so we want to have a strong foundation here as a church. Like we love the the music and the people and we're excited, the coffee and the aesthetic and all these kinds of things, but Uh, We want to be a church that really goes deep together and uh, really kind of studies the deeper things of theology as a church um, in addition to um, hearing about things like God's hope and his love and all those kinds of things as well. And so as we started looking at like really what Christianity is about and the most foundational beliefs, uh, we're going to start today by looking at who God is because that's a really important thing. If it's all about God, if he's our creator, then to understand Christianity, we have to know who God is and how he's revealed himself to be. But as we start today, I want to start by um, taking you back down memory lane. And so just really quick, in your mind, you can close your eyes or leave your eyes open or whatever. Um, But think about somebody who means a lot to you. A person that's very special to you, means a lot to you. It can be a really good friend. It can be a spouse or a relative. But someone who, like, man, you're just really, really close with this person. Uh, You have an affection for them. They're, They're essential in your life. Think about that person. And once you have that person, now think about this. We're going, to, we're going to get nostalgic for a moment. Think about how your relationship with that person developed, like how you got to know them. Think of those moments, the conversations, the things you've done, the time you've spent together. Think about the journey to getting to know that person, right? I see it, the sentimentalism, I see it, you know, like that, that walk over the bridge or that car ride together. Like whatever built your relationship, think about those moments, And whoever you're thinking about, whoever that person is for you, what I can guarantee you is that the reason why you love that person and why they're so special to you is because you got to know them for who they really are and not through somebody else, okay? So you don't get close to somebody by getting secondhand information about them and like, oh, I learned about them from this other person and what they said about them. No, when we get to know somebody on a very deep transformational level, it's because we know them for who they really are really are when i was in college i met my wife and it was the end of her freshman year and uh, she always tells me this funny story because she finds it funny i don't find it very funny but she finds it funny um where she jokes that she was uh we met each other and we were talking that's what we called it back then i don't know if kids call it talking anymore but we were talking. Like before you date you talk you know and it's like do we need to date you know kind of thing so we were talking, and, uh, but also, she was just kind of getting adjusted to the university where we were at, and so she was kind of getting into her friend groups, so the friends group that she was going to have, and she always tells this funny story because as she was becoming friends with this friend group, she remember one day she was telling them, yeah, I'm talking to this guy named John, and they were like... John Wethington, you know, kind of thing, and she always jokes, she's like, I could tell that they weren't super big on you, which, honestly, I wasn't super big on them either, just to be honest, you know, but that's neither here nor there, um, but the reason, a little background is because I was, this is, this is stupid, but it's college, and so it's stupid, it just is what it is, you know, like, I had a friend group of guys, and the, our friend group of guys, just for whatever reason, did not connect well with this friend group of girls, you know, and so we just, just didn't go well, right? And so they assumed, maybe because I was part of this friend group that I was a certain kind of way. And so they told her that. She she, you know, and the good thing was is she received it. She said, okay, well, I'll get to know him, and if he's a jerk, I'll I won't, you know, date him or anything. But she said, I'm gonna get to know him for myself. And I'm forever grateful for that. Because if Halsey had allowed maybe somebody else's opinion of me to impact our relationship, she would have literally never have gotten to know me, and we wouldn't be married, we wouldn't be here right now, and we wouldn't have our kids. But the reason why I say that is because for a lot of us, like, I think what we know about God is because of maybe some cultural assumption as to what God's like, or maybe what somebody else told us once, or uh, maybe somebody in some ways that was like misinformed or didn't really explain God in the fullness of who he really was. And the reason why I think I can, I can prove this so often is because when you talk about the Trinity. Or the doctrine of the Trinity in the church, even a lot of Christians, like they don't really know that much about that, right? They may be at most know, okay, Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity, the triune God, but like they don't really understand how essential it is to Christianity. And so what we want to do in this series is we want to give you an invitation to meet God. And there's this awesome quote by A.W. Tozer, and he says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That the most important thing about you and your life and your future is when you think about God, what comes to your mind. And so I want to preach a sermon today entitled Trinity, Meet God. Because when you come to know God for who God reveals himself to be, you will understand God as Father, as Son, and as Spirit. And the good news today is that if you will track with me in this, you're going to learn something today. It's going to be some deeper stuff today. It's going to be even some confusing things today. But I think as you as you lean here with me and see this in the scriptures, I think what you will find is that God is far greater, more loving and more relational than you could ever imagine. So I want to start today by looking at what is the Trinity. I want to define this for us. When I say the Trinity, what am I saying? And simply stated, the Trinity is this belief of who God has revealed himself to be to us in the scriptures. And so when I think of the Trinity, what helps me is I see the Trinity as more of a collection of essential beliefs about who God is and about what he's like, but based upon how he has revealed himself. Because for a lot of us, when we think about God, we think about God maybe in terms of like what somebody told us once or maybe what we might naturally think God might be like. And we, we set up this definition as to kind of what we expect God to be like, and then if we read something in the Bible that contradicts that, we're like, well, this is weird, you know, or this is different. I wouldn't have thought it like this, but we have to accept that maybe we're weird, right? Maybe, maybe we need to let God define who he is in his scriptures. And so the definition of the Trinity is this, and this is uh, shared by almost all Christian theologians that I know. This is like the definition, is that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. If that sounds confusing, I'm going to explain that today. But one God, there's not three gods, there's one God, but who eternally exists as three distinct persons. And so you have the Father, right? God the Father, God the Son, which is Jesus, right? And then God the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Spirit. I love the word Trinity because it means tri-unity. means three in unity together. And so with the way the Bible reveals God is that there is a oneness to God, but there's also a threeness to him that we hold in tension. And so really quick, we're going to look at some of the passages in the Bible uh, that talk about the Trinity and that develop this idea, and we're going to be all over, so you can follow along with me or it'll be up on the screen behind me. Um, There is one that I'm going to want you to turn to in Genesis chapter 1, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can turn to Genesis 1. But I want to say really quick, this is important to note, theologians will tell you this, the word Trinity itself is not in the Bible, Okay. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. If you're looking in your (laughs) concordance for the word Trinity, right, like you're not going to find the word Trinity. But the doctrine, and the word doctrine simply means belief, and so when we say our doctrine as a church, what we mean is what we believe as a church, the belief or the teaching of the Trinity is all throughout the Bible. And what I always love to joke about is, like, this one is literally so obvious, church, that, like, Baptists and Methodists and Catholics, you know, and Presbyterians and Orthodox, we all agree on this, okay? Like, we all agree on this. We all see the Trinity in the Scriptures. And so this is a foundational belief of Christianity because it is who God has revealed himself to be. And what I want to say today is that you will only go so far in your relationship with God as you know God. And so to really go deeper, to really understand, to really grow in your love and affection for the Lord and obedience, you have to really know who He is. So the first verse I want to read today is Deuteronomy 6, 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4. You don't have to turn there with me. It'll be open the screen behind me. We're going to be all over today. So Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so What that would have said is that there is one God. To say the Lord is one would say the Lord is one. There's one God and the Lord is above all other things. And so there are not, um, you know, 50 things over everything. There is one thing over everything. The Lord is one. And once again, you could even argue this is a reference to the Trinity as well. Because to say he's one, why would you need to know that? Why? Because there's three, but they are one together in the fullness Then look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. So now we're going to go to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. For there is one God. There's not three gods. There's not ten gods. There's not fifty gods. There's not a thousand gods. There is one God. There is only one being that has the right to be called God. And so here's the Trinity. We're seeing the oneness of God. There is one God. But now turn me to Genesis 1, verse 26. If you are going to turn somewhere, I want you to turn there to me with this one. Uh, This is one of my favorites. And I think this one is so vital because if you were to literally just open the Bible and say, God, show me who you are, show me what you're like, and whatever you say, God, this is what I will believe, is that you would not even get out of the uh, first chapter of the Bible without seeing that something is up. Something's a little bit more complex than you might originally think, okay? Remember, we're not coming with preconceived ideas, right? Just God, show me who you are. You would be in Genesis 1, verse 26, and, and you would read this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, that word hour in the original language, it means hour. Okay, that's what it means, right? It means hour. It means like, you know, more than one. Okay, that's what that means. So in the beginning, God says, let us make man. So if you were just taking the Bible at face value, you would come to this verse and be like, okay, so I'm beginning to learn and understand who God is. And this is an important uh, verse because a lot of people will say that the, the doctrine of the Trinity Is like a New Testament thing. Like Jesus was like kind of adding on to God, if you will, but wasn't there from the beginning. Or let's say that the Trinity is like an early church kind of thing that we put together or whatever. But we're in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And we're seeing where he says, let us make man in our image. So we've established that God is one, right? But there's something else at play here. Let's look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 19. And notice these are foundational Christian biblical passages, right? These are foundational things to the storyline of Scripture. This is Jesus. In verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and said to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So even right there, we're kind of seeing it, right, where Jesus is saying he is God because he has all authority, because only God has all authority, but also that authority has been given to him. So once again, without the understanding of the Trinity, a lot of these passages don't make sense. But then in verse 19, listen to what he says. He says it so directly. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the what? The? And of the? And of the? Holy Spirit. Okay. And now I can't be positive exactly what the disciples said when like they heard this. But um, it does not say in the text that when they heard this, they were like, huh? Right? <laughs> Wait, what? Like, what is this? You know? Because they would have known about this. Because they were with Jesus, and Jesus was teaching them who God was. He taught them to pray to the Father, but he also taught them that, that he was God, or he's going to show them. But then also he told them about the Holy Spirit or the Helper in John chapter 14, And so from the very beginning, this is not even an early church thing. The early church helped us kind of define it and understand it and and use the word Trinity, meaning triunity, to understand this complexity that we're seeing. But in the very beginning, when Scripture was being given to us, we see that Jesus could have said, baptize them in my name or baptize them in God in general, but he said, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so to know God and to become his disciples, to step into the fullness of who God is and who he's revealed himself to be. But let's look at John chapter 1. If you have a Bible, turn there with me too. John 1, verses 1 through 3. This is my favorite passage today because I think it really um, kind of defines really what Christianity is as compared to a lot of other religions or even religions that try to identify closely to Christianity. This is a very important passage, I think, that really highlights the Trinity in a beautiful way. John 1, looking at verses 1 through 3, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word here. It says, in the beginning was the Word, And that word refers to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. <laughs> and so do you notice what, what's happening here? Like, do you hear that, right? If you, if, you had never, if you knew nothing about God and you were just trying to learn from the Scriptures, it's like in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, But the word was also God. And this word was in the beginning with God. It might be a little bit confusing... And I love this passage because Genesis 1 is seen as like a creation narrative in the scriptures, and John 1 is seen by many to be a recreation narrative. So God creates the world in Genesis 1, the world is broken and sinful, and then in John 1 through Christ coming into the world, God is recreating. It's almost like a different kind of renewing uh, creation narrative, if you will. But we're seeing that, that there was something in the beginning that was with God and that was also God, and what this is referring to is Jesus. Man, there are so many important doctrinal truths in this passage because what is being taught here is that Jesus was God, but also that he was involved in creation with the Father in the very beginning. And So there was God, but then there was Jesus, and he was with God, and nothing was created that that was not without him. And so Jesus was eternal. Jesus was there in the very beginning. Jesus is not like a later uh, creation. He comes into the world in a moment, but he has always been there with God The Father, and this is critical, and this is what separates Christianity from many other religions. And so Mormonism, for example, denies the Trinity, says that there are many gods. It says the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all different gods, but that goes against what Scripture teaches. You have Jehovah's Witnesses who go the opposite direction and say there is only one God in one person. They they refer to God the Father, but they see Jesus as a created being, right, who was an agent of God's will. But it says here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. So he was eternal. You have Muslims who see Jesus as a prophet, but not as God himself. And so once again, denying the Trinity because the Trinity includes the Son. And so John chapter 1 is an essential part of Scripture that really distinguishes what we believe as Christians. Because to know God, you have to know him. And to know God, you have to know what he's like. I mean, you can imagine, go back to the the analogy earlier with the person that you got to know and got to be close with. I mean, if you had false information about who they were or didn't really understand them, how close to them could you be? And so we come to know God in his fullness. Next passage, go go to John 10.30. Here's another one. one. There's a whole lot of these. I'm just picking out certain ones. But in John 10.30, Jesus says it as clear as possible. He says, I and the Father are one. So Jesus is teaching the Trinity in, the, in this moment, which is why in Matthew 28, his disciples understand it. I mean, if you don't understand the Trinity, there's Father, Son, and Spirit, like one God, but in three persons working together. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I was kind of getting serious about my faith and reading the Bible, and I kind of understood the Trinity a little bit, but it was confusing, and I went to one of my mentors, and I was like, I'm a little confused, because like if you read through the Gospels, it's like, I believe Jesus is God, but he's like talking to God. And so like, can you explain this to me? Like, how does this work? You know, he's like, he is God, but he's praying to God, and so explain this to me. In John 17, we say this when Jesus prays to the Father. But once again, this tension is resolved in John 10:30 when Jesus says, The Father and I are one. Another passage, 1 Corinthians 6:19, this refers to the Holy Spirit. This is Paul saying, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. And that's kind of a complicated way of essentially saying the Holy Spirit is God, right? Because he's saying that we are the temple, right? And in the Old Testament, the temple is where the presence of God, the fullness of God would dwell. And so if we are the temple and the Spirit is inside of us, he's saying the Spirit is God inside of you. That the Holy Spirit is God, that you are not your own because what is in you is not of you, it is God, Then the final one, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. This is the Apostle Paul finishing the letter of 2 Corinthians. He says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So once again, even the early church would have had an understanding of this idea of God as being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They would have been taught this and learning this. But really quick, uh, I want to give you some things that I call Trinitarian Essentials, and I get these. uh, These are not my own. I get this from Stanley Grins, who wrote an amazing text called Theology for the Community of God. It's one of the uh, books I got to study in college, and I really love this sermon because I I spent a lot of years and money to get two degrees in Christian theology, and I'm using some of that today, right? So I'm super excited, right? I took on some debt to get to this place, so I'm, I'm really glad, you know? Uh, but this is one of the texts that we read. It's a wonderful systematic theology text. And he says here are four essential beliefs about the Trinity to understand it, right? Because it's complicated. I can't just tell you one thing, I've got to tell you four things to understand how this works. So all these beliefs are essential. Number one, that God is one. So when you think about who God is, God is one, right? There are not three gods, there is one God. So God is one. But number two, God is three. Okay, so God is one, and once you understand that, then you know God is three, and so there are three distinct persons in the Trinity, right? So God has manifested or revealed himself in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number four, God is unity. So God is one, and there's three persons in that oneness, but then within the, the three persons, there is unity. So they're, they have the same essence, the same heart, the same desire, the same mission. They're, they're not different in their motivations or in what they want to do Like They are perfectly united. And Jesus demonstrated this in his relationship with the Father in the Gospels. And the number four, God is diversity. So God is unity, but he's also diversity in that the Holy Spirit or the Father or the Son at different points will take the lead on different roles and doing different things. And so Jesus came into the world to save the world, that it wasn't the Father, right? The Father was was with him. The Father was over him, right? Um, But there are diversity of the roles in different times. A really helpful diagram that um often you'll get if you're taking a theology course it will be up here um kind of an image of the uh the trinity kind of how it all works together and so you'll see god is in the middle because there's one god but there's father there's son there's holy spirit each one is god but the different ones are not the other and so they are united but they are distinguishable and so this kind of helps us understand kind of how it works together And then the last question, before we get into some application, don't worry, right? We're going to apply this, right? But the last thing is, who are the different persons of the Trinity? And so how do we understand this? I want to give you a little bit of context for each of the different uh, people in the Trinity. So the first thing to to note here, and I I remembered this when I was studying this week, that sometimes we think of the Trinity as like kind of uh, divvying up the workload, if you will, you know? God has a lot to do, you know, and so he's got to divvy up the work between the three and kind of delegate and stuff, but that's not the, the proper way to think about it. That the Trinity is involved in all things together. That's the best way to think about it. But different ones out of a servant heart might lead out on something because it is the best thing to do or whatever, but they're always working together. And so even in different parts of Scripture, like who raised Jesus? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're all involved in that work go back to creation when the world is created so the father is creating but then it also says in genesis 1 the spirit was hovering over the waters and it also says let us make man in our image genesis 126 and so there's like this this plurality in a sense that's happening in this moment so they're all there and they're all involved but at different times they do kind of take different leads on different roles and once again, this is grins this is not me but uh, he says god the father can be seen as the creator and so all are involved, but the Father takes the lead on creation. And I love this part, because this is why we pray to the Father for our needs. Because he, He's providing for our needs. He, he creates the provision that we need. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the provider. He's the initiator. Then you have God the Son, and He is the Redeemer. He's the Redeemer who, who takes on flesh to understand us, to die for us, to redeem us, to be our perfection. He is our Redeemer. And then the last one, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is seen as the sanctifier. The sanctifier meaning the one that grows us, that matures us, and that does things in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the agent of God in the world that is fully God in all of his fullness. But really quick, let's take a deep breath. Okay, one more, one more. Okay. I know that's a lot of information, and that, I mean, you know, I kind of just summarized, I mean, that could be a whole, you know, college course for a semester that I just like blew you away with in 20 minutes, okay? But I want to explain now, and this is for this sermon and for all the next in this series, I want to explain how this actually changes your life. And not just the doctrine of the Trinity, but the doctrine or the beliefs, like, like how does our doctrine or things, but how does it change us? And the reality is, is it changes us more than anything else. Because the Bible teaches that belief determines behavior. You have to get this. Belief determines behavior. That who you believe God is, what he's like, will play into what you do with your life. And this is one of the unique things about Christianity. Because think about the gospel, right? How are we saved, we're not saved by how how well we do our outer life or the works that we do. We are saved because we believe in Jesus, who is our Savior in light of our sin. And so we are saved literally by what we believe, but the reason ultimately is because what truly makes you who you are is what you believe. That even looking at what you do is not the best indicator of who you are. An important teaching of Christianity is that your inner life determines your outer life, but we live in a world that is so focused on the outer life. And this is what I love about Jesus, because Jesus shows up, and he sees right through everything, okay? He doesn't, the Pharisees acting all religious, and they knew all the stuff, and he looked right through it and said, you are dead on the inside. He called them whitewashed tombs. I mean, Jesus, that's like straight fire, Jesus, you know? It's like, we, we think of Jesus like it's just a nice guy, and he is a nice guy, right? But he's also truthful, And so Jesus looked past all the stuff because the world says, well, you know, get your money, get your stuff, get a good job, all these kinds of things. But what really matters is what's happening in here. And so often, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change our outer life without changing our inner life and it doesn't work. And Jesus talks about this in Luke 6, 45. He says this, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so you've never done anything in your life ever that was not connected to something you believe on the inside. We're going to go deep today because, like, this is going to hit you hard. It hits me hard. I was looking at it, I was like, this I this is raw. I mean, in a lot of ways, your body, like, what you, it's just a robot that's controlled by what you believe. I mean, you communicate to your body what to do, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how that works, right? And, and you do everything you do for a reason, I'm up here for a reason, right? Because I'm the pastor. I'm preaching. This is what I do. Right? I mean, I'm up here. Like I, I didn't just show up. You know, like we're all here for a reason. Like, like you came to church today for a reason. Most likely, it's a it's a good reason. You want it, but but you're here. Like, what you did today was literally for a reason because you believe something. You believe for some reason you need to be here, so you're here. And so, everything in your life is connected, literally to what you believe. And so often we're trying to do all the right things, but it's burning us out. Or it's, like, or it's like, if we're honest, it's like drudgery, you know? It's like, you know, serving in the church or being generous or loving people or caring for, like, like we, we do it because we know it's the right thing to do. But if we're honest in some ways, maybe we don't want to do it. And it's because there's something inside of us, there's some belief that's not agreeing with the goodness of God and the purpose of our life. So here's why I say that, because if our belief determines our behavior, and if of all of our beliefs or doctrines, the Trinity is seen as being one of the most essential and vital beliefs, then it must mean, therefore, that this is a transformational belief That if we believe this and if we see it in its fullness, it will radically change our lives. Because everything we believe changes us and changes what we do. So I want to practice this with you uh, for the last part of the sermon today. Because I'm going to look at some um, commonly understood things about what the Trinity shows us about God. And theologians all agree on this for the most part. These are what God shows us about himself in the Trinity. And I want to show how they forever change your life. That if we were to really believe these things, it would transform us. So the first one is this, the first Trinitarian reality that transforms us is this, that God is great. God is great. Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9 says this, this is God, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And this is really good news. (laughs) Because I know as we've been studying the Trinity today, you're like, I kind of get it. <laughs> I got some questions. It's a little mysterious. I'm not sure how it all perfectly, I, so God is one, but he's also three. Like I'm, I'm trying to understand this, you know, but, but here's the good news. Like it's not a problem that you don't fully understand it. In fact, it's a good thing because God is big and he's bigger than you He's, he's glorious, he's intricate, he's complicated in glorious, glorious ways, and we are limited in understanding it because if we could fully understand God, he would not be God, right? If, if, you know, if, if my little, you know, three-pound brain could understand God, that would mean that he was not truly God, that it's okay to kind of scratch your head a little bit, like, there are theologians that have devoted their lives to this, and it's so funny, I was reading this week the most brilliant Christian minds, like over the ages, and the one thing they all said, like over and over and over again, was like, you know what, we can only understand this in part, and there's almost no other doctrine or belief that they write about that they say this, like, yeah, we get salvation, we get all these, we get the church, you know, but this is the one, like, man, you, we, you know, we're holding things in tension here. But the reality is, is this is who God has revealed himself to be in Scripture. If you want to get to know God, this is who God is. This is who he says that he is. But we should marvel. I was talking to someone earlier. They say, man, the Trinity shouldn't make us, like, skeptical. It should make us live in wonder. It's like my my daughter. Right now, every morning when I wake up, my three-year-old daughter, Molly, she's like, are you going to work today, Dad? Every day, every day, are you going to work? And five days out of the week, I say yes. And two days out of the week, I say no. Um, but now she's kind of adding something onto it. She'll ask me, are you going to work? And then after that, she'll be like, why? You know, why? And she, said, she didn't even say it nicely. She's like, why? You know, she's like, why, dad? And I'm trying to explain to her right now, though she doesn't get it, I'm trying to explain how when I go to work, one of the reasons is because I I make money. And I'm trying to help her understand how when I go to work, it it ends up putting food on her table, (laughs) and the car, and the air conditioning. Like, I'm trying to draw, but she doesn't understand that yet. One day she will, but right now she doesn't. She doesn't get that, you know, that connection. But just because she doesn't understand that, it would be illogical to say, well, that must not be true then, And so there are going to be truths about God that we don't understand, and all that means is that He is God. And so when we worship Him, we don't just worship Him because of what we know about Him, we worship Him because of what we don't understand about Him. See, God is great, and the way this changes our life, like if you really saw God in all of His greatness, like, man, God is great, and He's big, and He's massive, wow! that we would, we would see his greatness and it would, it would cause us to trust him in all of our ways. Because think about it, if God is great, if he's revealed to be great, but also revealed to be perfectly good, if he's beyond your comprehension, that means his goodness is beyond your comprehension. So however good you think God is, he's infinitely better than that in all of his ways. And if you really believe that God was great, if you really believe that he was everything, you would be crazy not to give your life to him because you're not perfect and you don't know everything. And so to only ever do what you think you should do means that you are literally walking in imperfection. You are signing up for disaster in your life. But God is great. And so we should follow him. We should trust in his ways. And all of us were in this room today, probably for the most part, because we know that when we follow God, we find his blessing, we find his peace, that God does not lead us in wrong or dark ways. And so, because God is great, this is why we worship, this is why we give him everything. Because God is great. And so if you were to behold his greatness in the tree, wow, he's big and he's bigger than I thought and he's he's three but he's one, wow, this is amazing. Like you, it would cause you to surrender your life fully to him. Number two, you've probably heard this one, God is love. I like this one, God is love. And people say this a lot but they often don't know really where it comes from. First uh, John 4, 7-8 says this, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. That's powerful. Not God is loving, God is love. And people always say this, but they don't understand the reason why we can say this logically is because God is love in and of himself with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. The fullness of the Trinity loves one another. And this is important to know because it kind of contradicts like a like an old wives' tale that you hear sometimes. Um, so <laughs> I think actually someone, when I was a kid, someone told me this. They, they said, well... The reason why God created people and humanity is, is because uh, God needed somebody to love. You know, you hear that, right? And, you know, it, it's, it's cute, and it's usually not meant negatively or in a bad way, but, like, it's kind of heresy, so we shouldn't say it, right? Because that's to say that God is insufficient. In a, like, 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 God was just desperate and needed to make us. But sometimes you'll hear that circulate, right? And, and it kind of sounds okay, but, but it's not true because God has all the love that he needs within himself. To say that God needed us was like like, like God needs us, that God is incomplete without us, and it's not true. See, the Bible teaches and the Trinity teaches that God created us out of an abundance of love, that we are of the overflow of the love within the Trinity. We are not filling a vulnerable need that God has. We are an overflow, an expression of his love in this world. And here's the thing, church, when you believe that there is an eternal, all-loving, great, and powerful God that created you to be a demonstration of his love in this world, you will live differently. That belief will transform all of your behavior. Man, if I'm created out of an overflow of love, and if I'm created to love, I mean, I can't, gossip. I can't be bitter. You know, I can't be unloving. I can't, like, not help people. Like, that's why I'm here. I'm here to breathe oxygen. I'm here to exist, and I'm here to love. That's what I do. But often, that belief is not deep inside of us. And if we're honest, maybe what's inside of us is I exist to be seen as amazing. I exist to make money i exist to work right i exist to pursue pleasure and whatever you think you exist for will determine everything you do in your life and can you imagine if everybody in the world believed that they were created out of an overflow of a perfectly loving triune god that was here in the world to love how much that would transform the world We come from love, and so we live to love. We don't just love because God told us to, because like the thing we have to do. It's literally within the DNA of why we exist. It's our story. It's our narrative. God is love, and we come from God. And so we exist to love. That belief transforms you. And the final one is this. I love this one. God is community. Theologians point out the Trinity shows that God is community. John 17, verse 21, where Jesus is praying to the Father, he says that they may all be one, talking about the church, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. See, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are involved in perfect unison, harmony, and mission. And they know one another intimately. They are involved in all things together. And once again, this goes against another common wives tale of like, why did, why did God create us? Well, God created us because um, he was lonely. You know, he need, God needed some friends. It's like heresy. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. I, I get it. I, you know, I, I get what they're trying to say, but it's not true. Like, like God was not lonely and then you showed up and now I have a friend at the playground. You know, that's not what happened, right? God had all the community in and of himself but we were created to reflect that community here in the world. Jesus said that they would be one, like Father, you and I are one. Like, 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 like so how does God as community transform us? We live in community to reflect the unity of God here on earth, okay? That's a little bit of a better motivation to get in a community group than just like, you know, you're supposed to do it, you know? Get in a group because God said to, you know, don't forsake the gathering or something, you know, and so it's it's the law, it's the religion, we got to do it, right? Like, that's kind of, that produces drudgery, right? But if we really began to see, like, why do we gather in community, in home, share a meal, like, why is such an important part of our vision as a church? It's because it literally reflects the oneness of God here on earth. That when we gather together in homes we're a part of a divine calling that is literally on our life that does so much good in this world my neighbors have not said anything but like i know they wonder why are there a bunch of cars in front of john's house every wednesday <laughs> you know and and i go throughout the neighborhood and and you know maybe occasionally there's like a family event or something but it's like there's some kind of a consistency of why people get together when we're all busy and we all have stuff going on. Why do we do this? Can you imagine if we really believed that we lived in community to reflect the community within the triune God that is wonderful and amazing? That if we were trying to live that out and express that in the world around us, that's much more compelling than just like, we're supposed to do it, so let's do it, Right? So as we draw to a close, um, I hope, as we're beginning this series, that you're really beginning to understand more so like who God really is and, and really what He's like. I hope you're seeing it more clearly now. I hope you're realizing that the Trinity is an invitation to know God more deeply. He's revealing something about himself and His nature to you. And I hope from today that you're really seeing that the Trinity is the transformational fullness of God. That we don't just look at the Trinity to learn some intellectual realities about who God is or some philosophical things, but that we look at the Trinity and say, man, the wonder of God changes me. You see, our doctrine and our belief are what make us who we are. And when the fullness of God is revealed to us, we find everything that we need. And our world needs this because this is what our world is. And let me kind of illustrate it like this way before we close. Like, imagine there's like, this is, I don't know, this is you. <laughs> this is you right here. And this is sad you you know, like your life isn't perfect and you've got problems, like you're sinful and you're imperfect and you're weak and, and, and we have loneliness and, and these longings and anxieties and this is us, you know. And at some point we have to realize that the story that we're telling the world is going to impact kind of what happens in our life and if we ever really change. And so there's this person, which is every human in the world, we're all broken, we're all sinful, we're all imperfect and And so this is, you know, sad you. And then imagine what we put before sad you is like, well, well, you are a partially evolved product of some big bang that we don't really know that much about. Um, There's not really purpose behind it. And we don't know really where it comes from. And it's not really personal. Like that doesn't change you or feel any need that you have. I mean, at what point do we start realizing that, like, when you tell kids they're nothing more than partially evolved, meaningless parts of matter in the universe, that it doesn't lead to a happy, purpose-filled life where they believe that they are loved and known and can overcome anything. Like, that impacts you. But then imagine this. there's are sad you, and, and you're here, and you have all these longs and all these needs. And then we say, well, well, there is a God, but he's kind of distant. He's kind of a checked out Father God, created the world kind of deistic and just kind of bailed. Not super involved, not super connected, don't know much about him. He set things up and he checked out. There's your sin, there's your problems, there's your weakness, there's your longings. and doesn't do anything to change you at all. Like that doesn't fix anything. But then you take the same person and, and you open the scriptures and and you begin to lay before them the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And God's like, come get to know me. See, God's a Father, right? He loves you. He wants to be a part of your life. He created you. It's your purpose. You have purpose in this life. You were created on reason for a reason, right? Like, like there's a reason why you're here. And that father also provides for you. So you got needs, he'll help you. Pray to your father. And you've got like sin in your life and you've got brokenness. Let me tell you about the son, Jesus, the savior, came into the world to draw near to you, to die on the cross. Like he died for your sins. God came into the world Oh, you're, you're imperfect, then he's got perfect righteousness all for you. And you're weak in life and you're lonely. Let me tell you about the spirit. He's power that dwells literally inside of you. He's perfect presence. He's your friend. And, and can you see that when you really begin to believe the fullness of who God is, it changes who you are in everything that you do in life. You see, what you believe matters. Doctrine matters. It's not some disconnected, far-off thing, because when you begin to understand the right beliefs and know who God is, your life forever changes. This is the story the world needs to hear. The world needs the Father, the world needs the Son, and the world needs the Holy Spirit. And when God reveals himself to you in the fullness of who he is, he's saying, hey, come meet me. Come get to know me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know how to interact with me. So church, over the next few weeks, man, let's, let's lean into this together. Because everything we believe impacts everything that we do. Let's pray. Father, we step into this today. And we just want to confess our longing for everything that you are. God, you are what we need in this life. And God, we want to be your people that spread your message because the world needs this. The world needs to know who you are. It needs to know the details. It needs to know the details because it shows your glory and it shows how much we're loved. And it shows what you can do in our lives, Lord. That God, when we don't believe in your fullness, we don't even know why we're here. But God, you've spoken to us. And so I pray as a church, we would deeply believe these truths, Lord. Deeply believe these truths. God, we need your fullness. So would you continue to reveal more and more and more of yourself that we can know you that we can love you and that we can share this story, share this reality with every person around us because what we believe will determine everything that we do in this life. We love you, Lord, in all of your fullness. We pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.